Amen. Thank you, Pastor Todd. Good morning, church. Great to see you and uh, worship with you. Such an encouragement to start another week singing together, enjoying uh, the truths of the Word of God as we sing to God and each other. So what a, what a joy. Uh, we'll be this morning in Acts chapter 20. So if you've got a Bible, please turn with me uh, there to Acts chapter 20. Um, and if you're new with us, just want to say welcome to you. My name's Chuck, and I'm one of the pastors. It'll be my privilege to walk us through the second half of Acts chapter 20 this morning. And uh, grateful especially to see uh, parents with young ones in the room. Thank you for braving the elements and uh, coming. We're so grateful for that. The uh, preschool building, one of the rooms is open. If you need to go uh, have a cry fest or change a diaper, you can take your child along as well. Uh, we'll be in the, if you go out these doors to the left, the next building you'll come to is a preschool building. And the northernmost room in that building has the live stream on, uh, and you're welcome to run over there uh, if you need to. Additionally, hello to everybody online. Thanks for tuning in this morning. If you're new with us, we've been walking through the book of Acts. Acts covers a period of time, about three decades after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it tells us so much about the power of the Word of God and how the church uh, and the gospel spread all over the ancient world. And thereby we learn much about our own day in it um, as well. We have uh, been in this for months and we're about... 75% of the way through. Today we come to uh, a very powerful passage. Tom is going to come read for us, starting in verse 13. Would you give him a hearty welcome as he comes? But going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Azos, intending to take Paul abroad there. For So he had a range, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Azos, we took him on board and went to Metlina. And sailing from there, we came the following day opposite Chios. The next day we touched at Samos, and the day after that we went to Miletius. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hasting to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Thank you, brother. No one wants to listen to me now, after your soothing voice. <clears throat> That's uh, Acts chapter 20, verses 13 through 16. Uh, most of us here in the room are from somewhere else originally. So we are people accustomed to goodbyes. Uh, college students, especially, who are here this morning, remember back to uh, when you left your parents to come to university. In the first gathering, people cheered uh, at that point. You are more mature than them, I guess. Even when you're older, so let's say in your 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, uh, goodbyes are still hard. If life has been lived well, transitions will be a challenge. The, the long hugs, the many tears, the one more drive around the block or one last trip to your favorite coffee shop. Goodbyes are bittersweet. Our text this morning is going to take us 
to one of the most powerful and important goodbyes in all the Bible. We find Paul on a cargo ship headed back to the city of Jerusalem. He hasn't been there in many, many years because he's been out planting churches. But he's headed back there now, and with him is a variety of people who've come from different churches that he helped start, and they've come with a large offering to take back to the city of Jerusalem, specifically to the church, as the people in Jerusalem were struggling with famine and poverty. As they reach a particular city, Miletus, Paul recognizes that this is as close he's going to get to the elders of the church in the city of Ephesus, a place where he'd spent years doing ministry. And so he called them to come that 48 miles from Miletus to Ephesus so that he could have one last conversation with them. He did so knowing he would never see them again. I encourage you as we continue to read the text today that you would listen in as this world's greatest missionary gives powerful parting words to the pastors of a church because it will tell you what pastors are for and why you need them and how to find good ones. After spending three years in Ephesus, the bond between these brothers, these pastors of the church in Ephesus, was deep. And knowing he would be unable to equip them in the future, Paul leveraged the goodbye as an opportunity to fully and finally persuade them of what their pastoral duties are. Would you read what he said with me, starting in verse 17? Now, from Miletus... He sent to Ephesus, and he called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears, with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, teaching you in public from house to house testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonments and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value or as precious to myself, if only I may finish the course and the ministry that I received from the Lord, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. For I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will rise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. 
Remembering that for three years, I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up, to give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's gold or silver or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he said these things, he knelt down and he prayed with them all. There was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him. Now being sorrowful, most of all, because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again, and they accompanied him to the ship. This is God's word. Many aspects of life, brothers and sisters, rise and fall on leadership. Be it in the home with a husband, or in a classroom with a teacher, a business with a manager, a operating room with a surgeon, a country with a president. The plight of people is inextricably tied to the character of the leaders. Even a cursory reading of history confirms that, and in our own present day, we are experiencing it. When it comes to the specific leadership of local churches, Acts 20 provides us with, with a wealth of information. As we study these verses, I pray that you would see, friends, the kindness of God in bringing us to this passage this morning. With the nation in turmoil and uncertainty, the Lord has brought us to a text to remind us that as unstable as the world might be, the church is on bedrock. You see, before America, there was the church. And after America's long gone, there will still be the church. And local churches, regardless of what's happening around us, local churches will flourish because Jesus has promised to build his church. We have nothing to fear. And he's promised to build his church under godly pastors. Our passage this morning breaks nicely into two parts. You may have noticed that as we read. First, Paul gave an example, and second, he gave an exhortation. Let's consider both. First, in verses 18 to 27, Paul rehearses some of the marks of his ministry in Asia. That is, he reminded the Ephesian elders of the responsibilities he took on as he functioned as the apostle to the church in Ephesus. And in so doing, he pointed to his own life and his own ministry. Now, in our culture of expressive individualism, it may strike you as rather odd that Paul would use his own life and ministry as a positive example. But in many ways, church, isn't that what leadership is? Follow me as I follow Christ. That is the basic function of a leader. 
Friends, we would do well, so well, to find people who are a little bit further along than us spiritually and to build relationships with them as part of the covenant community of the church and to follow them as they follow Christ. Now, sure, we only have one Savior, but we need many models of Christ-likeness to assist us as we mature in the Lord. And among all the things that pastors do, at the very root, the pastors of a church are to be mature believers worthy of imitation. If they are not that, they ought not be called pastor. Paul pointed to at least three characteristics of his life and ministry. Maybe you noticed them. He pointed to humility. He pointed to thoroughness. And he pointed to perseverance. Humility, thoroughness, and perseverance. Let's briefly consider each of those. First, Paul indicates that his leadership was marked by a Christ-like humility. I find that rather amusing, ironic. If a pastor is always talking about how humble he is, you can pretty much guarantee he's not humble at all. This is the only place in all of Paul's speeches and in all of his writings where he explicitly references his own ministry as being marked by humility. Humility is one of those traits that's best observed, not announced. But here, perhaps because of who he was talking to, he was setting up the example for them to follow. Friends, if pastors succeed in everything but fail in one, namely humility, then they have failed in all. Pastors who serve the Lord with humility understand that in the end, their job is to not draw attention to themselves, but to draw attention to Jesus. Their aim is humble Christ exaltation, not arrogant, prideful self-promotion. We're all confused about humility today. Humility isn't weakness. It's not niceness. It's not timidity. It's not inaction. It's not never saying something hard to someone. Humility is confidence properly placed. I think often today we look for strength in our leaders. And in some ways that's a good impulse, but it's, it's actually a few clicks off. Because really what we look at when we look at good leaders is not their strength. We look at their weakness. Because it's precisely in those weaknesses that the power of God can be seen. In the kingdom of God, you see, we all understand ourselves to be sinners. Sinners who only contributed to our salvation the sin that we needed to be forgiven of. And therefore, of all the people in the world... We ought to be the most humble. Paul himself called himself the chief of sinners. We are weak in sin and we are weak in sufferings. And 
as we come to terms with our own weaknesses. That's when we'll find the strength and the power of God. This confidence of who God is and what He has done for us in Christ, that's what drives pastors with tears and with trials to keep loving God and leading His people. It's not their own strength. It's the Lord's. Friend, if you are in any kind of leadership at all, remind yourself often that you did not earn that role. You don't deserve it. Your resume, as impressive as it may be, is not the ultimate cause for the influence that you have. No, leadership is a gift. Consider committing 1 Corinthians 4, 7 to memory. It says, what, did you, what do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as though you did not receive it? A leader above everything else understands that he or she does not deserve to be a leader. But for the kindness and mercy of God. A second mark of Paul's ministry raised in these verses is what we might call the thoroughness of his preaching and teaching. The thoroughness of his proclamation. Paul indicates that he did not shy away from preaching anything that was, quote, advantageous. There are things in the Bible, of course, if you've spent any time at all in it, that you know are easy to hear, and there are things that are hard to hear. But everything that God says from beginning to end in His Word is true, and it's virtuous, and therefore it's good for us to know and come to love, and to submit to. And at the very epicenter of God's Word is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul references the right response to this gospel in verse 21 when he talks about repentance and faith. Friend, if you're not a Christian, we're so glad that you're here. You could spend the rest of your life studying the Bible and never exhaust all that it has to say. The kind of attentive study you see as you look around the room, this room full of people who love the Lord and submit themselves to His Word, you, you could become like that and live like that every day for the rest of your life and not know all there is to know. And yet, you don't have to know everything the Bible says to come to terms with the main thing it says. That main thing is what we Christians call the gospel. It is the good news that God is our creator, that he is the only uncreated one, and that by the mere power of his words, he brought into existence all that is. And being our creator, he is by necessity in charge. And his word now comes to us in his scriptures, and it is through this word that we are to obey him. And yet universally, no one has. We have chosen our own word. We have gone by lies. We have lived under our own authority. And thereby we have rejected his good 
kind rule. But God in his mercy was not content just to allow us all to go our own way. Now you see, in the first century, he came to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus did not reject God's word. No, he lived it out. He obeyed. And in so doing, he was able then to serve as the perfect substitute. He died the death you deserve. He rose to new life. And he now reigns supreme. And through him, by believing this message and turning from your sin, you can be forgiven, adopted into his family, given a whole new life, locked in in union with God in a relationship that will never, ever, ever end. That's the essential message of the Bible. And our hope and prayer is that you would receive it, that you would receive Him. If you're ready, you can do that now. But if you have remaining questions about this gospel, I'd encourage you after the gathering is over to hang around outside. There'll be lots of people who would be very happy to tell you about what a schmuck they are, but what a great Savior they have. Church, the primary responsibility of a pastor is to preach and teach the whole counsel of God. Please pray for your elders to be continually growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We face the temptation to rely on past learning for present needs. The problem with that is it breeds arrogance and self-sufficiency. Pray that as we daily give ourselves to the Lord in His Word that we would be continually learning and drawing closer to Him so that what we learn, we can pass on to you and what you learn, you can pass on to us. That's how family works. Pray that we would have a godly gutsiness so that like Paul, we would say to you all the things that God says, not just the popular things. I'm so thankful that Church on Mill is really a church built on the Word of God, a church where people believe what God says. We take Him at His Word, and where we're wrong and need to change, by grace we do so. I'm so proud of you. Thank you for that. Now, third and final aspect of Paul's ministry raised in these verses is what we might call courageous perseverance. Beloved, a a teaching of God's Word publicly and privately, faithfully and comprehensively, lovingly and pointedly is not easy. And perseverance, especially in the context of shepherding and loving people who face all kinds of sufferings and trials, is not for the faint at heart. Frankly, I think apart from the Spirit and the prayers of the people, no pastor would make it for more than a few years. Paul's a great example of godly leadership because his gaze was set on finishing the life that God had given him. 
His goal was not to live as long as he could. His goal was to be faithful to all that God had commanded him to do. Faithfulness to the termination of life itself, not merely enduring until retirement, was his aim. Church, your pastors want to live up to that. Some of them are here in the room. Todd, who prayed this morning. Thank you, brother. Tad, who hasn't prayed today. Thank you, brother. Randy and Andy were both not raggedy in the last gathering. These brothers really do try hard to love you well. Pray that we would not labor to love you well in our own strength, nor that we would shrink back from declaring all that God says out of fear of criticism. May we make it not by being exceptional people, but by having a sovereign Lord. Jesus himself was concerned to make it to the end of the mission that God gave him. Do you remember that scene in the garden where he prays, Father, won't you let this cup pass from me? Nevertheless, not my will, but yours. As he commended himself to the will of the Father, he found strength for the task set before him. That's what we want to do. So Paul, in all these ways, held himself up as an example, an example for them to follow. And we all need examples to follow. As we seek to follow each other, then we follow Christ. Paul also gave an exhortation, and I'll only spend a few minutes here. If you look at verses 28 to 35, this comprises his, his plea to the Ephesian elders. And really, it can all be captured in one word, vigilance. Paul instructed the pastoral team of the church at Ephesus to pay careful attention, verse 28, and to be alert, verse 31. The entire pastoral ministry was to be a ministry of vigilance among and for the precious people of God. Notice, as the text says, that this vigilance is to start with a careful watchfulness over themselves. The pastor's looking out for each other. C.S. Lewis famously wrote, the true Christian's nostril is to be continually attentive to the inner cesspool. Beloved, even after our conversion, we still smell indwelling sin. We still face a susceptibility to all sorts of temptations. And the great danger in leadership is that it only intensifies the possibility of failure. Faithful pastors will think of themselves first as church members and only second as pastors because they, like all the rest of us, need the ministry of the body of Christ. 
If they would love God with all their hearts, souls, and minds, and strength, they need fellow brothers and sisters to walk that journey with them. They will be attendant to their own Bible reading, church participation, confession of sin, prayer. They'll be quick to listen to your loving correction. They'll read and rest, sing and serve. They'll know that they're not above failure. And they'll be attentive to that cesspool in order that they would daily be reminded to turn again to the grace of God. And this vigilance won't stop among the pastoral team. It'll, it'll bellow out from them to the whole church. Brothers and sisters, we love you. We five pastors long to fan into flame your love for Jesus Christ. We are by no means perfect at that. But we are committed to your care. And the extent to which your pastors labor in that love, I'm continually amazed at. Just a few nights ago, we met as your pastoral team on Thursday at 6 p.m., Many of the brothers in the room had already worked an entire day. And when I got in my car to go home, it was 12.05 a.m. Most of that time was spent praying and then talking about the needs of God's flock. Laboring to try to be wise for your own edification and joy in Christ. These guys are my heroes. We thank you this morning for the opportunity to protect, feed, lead, and care for you. We know firsthand what Jesus said. It really is more blessed to give than to receive. The next time we teach a doctrine you don't enjoy... Or we must gently challenge a behavior you need to repent of. Remember that in the design of God, in this age, a principle means through which you will experience Jesus' shepherding of you is through their shepherding. Be it a connection class on the fact that hell is a real place and it lasts forever and everyone will go there who doesn't trust Jesus Christ. Or be it a sermon that points out the fact that Scripture often says God has created us male and female with complementary but distinct roles. Be it a, a tragic situation in a members meeting where we must recommend you remove an unrepentant member. Or be it a decision the elders must make that you struggle to submit to. The responsibility of your elders is to admonish you with tears, commending you to God and His word of grace. Pray that we would have an integrity of doctrine and an integrity of life. And to put it very bluntly, if we fail to teach God's word and become heretics, or if we cease living godly, qualified, repentant lives. Fire us. 
But apart from that, follow us. Follow us as we follow Jesus. Ultimately, what we have in Acts 20 is a a powerful goodbye. That's why it ends with such emotion. To the elders in the room, Todd, Tad, Chuck, you must shepherd well because the sheep are precious to God. But that's three of us in the room. Have the rest of you just wasted 40 minutes of your life? What's what's the application of this text for you? I think there are many, but let me just quickly, very quickly mention three. Number one, as a result of spending time in Acts 20, would you consider the seriousness of having faithful pastors? In many ways, the health of your own walk with Jesus is bound up in the health of your pastors. We all know if we see a bad doctor that we'll probably have a bad outcome. If you have pastors who teach you wrong doctrine, that leads to wrong living. That decreases your joy in the Lord and increases the discipline you need from Him. You need pastors. Number two, would you marvel at your value to God, brothers and sisters? Would you just be amazed? Do you notice what this passage said? It said, Jesus Christ purchased you with His blood. So valuable are you to the God of the universe. He made the ultimate sacrifice on your behalf. Whatever you hear this coming week, whatever you score on a test, whatever fight you have with a spouse, whatever a peer says to you, whatever your boss mutters under his breath, the truth is, The Lord has deemed that you are worthy of his death. And that makes you of infinite value. Third and finally, when you look to your elders or your pastors for leadership, there's a sense in which you need to look not only to but through them. Because ultimately, the one to look to is Jesus Christ, the chief shepherd. As you look to the elders, look through them to the one who's shepherding them, the one who's shepherding you. Brothers and sisters, we will fail you. We will have to say, I'm sorry, a lot. But Jesus never will. Let's pray. Father, we pray this morning that you would use a text that probably none of us felt an immediate applicability 
And yet in your good providence, you brought us here today in such a time as this, when leadership is so much in question and the problems of it we see all the time. Thank you that you are our chief shepherd, that you perfectly tend your flock, that you will bring us safely to yourself. Thank you that you haven't left us to wander about trying to live the Christian life on our own, but in your kindness you've given local churches and that each church is in fact the church and that in these churches you provide pastors, imperfect people, but mature godly men who aim to lay their lives down for the sake of the sheep. God, bring more pastors and protect the ones we have. Father, we pray today that we would understand something of the way you look at us in your great mercy, the tremendous value you place on your people. As a result of what we've heard today, may we more joyfully and faithfully and obediently walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen.